Good afternoon, boxing fans around the world. Back again on Combat Talk Radio, found at combattalkradio.net with a our weekend of boxing updates here. Feel free to check us out. Once again, the site is combattalkradio.net. Leave us some comments, questions, suggestions, feedback on how we're doing, and we will get right into our weekend of boxing. Good morning and a happy new year out there, boxing fans. Combat Talk Radio is back on the air. I planned to do this recording yesterday. Thought it through and realized I want to go ahead and use Saturday and get this thing done. I actually am not traveling due to fiasco with the car. I'll briefly talk about what that is just so you know, because I did commit that I am going to be talking about uh, a little bit on the personal side, some of my Endeavor stuff, not spending a lot of time on it, but just at a high level, I'm trying to get the hell out of Nevada. That's like priority number one, although Nevada is the fight central, has been. I'm seeing that Nevada sucks. It frankly sucks. And I do think that we are moving past an era where boxing is at the forefront. doesn't mean that I'm not interested. I still am. And I've got an announcement here. So as I try to get out of Nevada, I needed to buy a car because I had, it's a long story, but I need to buy a car. I just bought that car. Now I got to wait for it to be shipped up to me. So that delayed things because the place I initially bought a car from was supposed to have delivered it on Monday. Didn't happen. Then Tuesday didn't happen. Then they... I ultimately canceled it, got my money back, went a different place. The place I got it from is awesome so far. Sounds like everything's good to go. As long as I get the car and the car is in good shape and it's like they told me and everything's up and up, and I'm going to be doing a video, actually, podcast and an audio podcast on our Casual Talk Radio sister podcast to cover that experience for those that are interested in buying a car. I don't want the crap that goes along with car buying. Long story, I'm not going to bore you with it. In the meantime, let's go ahead and get into our boxing. Of course, these events will be happening today. That's why I'm doing it here today, so I can get ahead of it, talk about what I see. Then I'm going to briefly talk about what's happening in the future. Quick announcement I mentioned, Combat Talk Radio is going to be going back on video, so the YouTube channel will be reinstated. Now, I have to think about if I just stick with YouTube, haven't decided that, or if I go with one of our other platforms. We're on BitChute, we're on Odyssey, we're on Rumble from a brand perspective. So I could choose one of those instead of YouTube, and that may be the way I go. But just so that you know, the plan is to go back on video for Combat Talk Radio. Not for the weekly. These would be kind of one-off, out of cycle, possibly for the lifeblood as I go back through certain fighters that I think are worth doing that coverage. I've got a couple on deck that I wanted to start talking about. I haven't given any attention to lifeblood because, you know, we had a little bit of a, a lull, especially in the fourth quarter. So I'm going to be restarting that up. The first episode that I'm going to be covering will be a Lifeblood of Boxing episode. I'm going to be wrapping that up probably next week. Get that uploaded. I will choose which platform seems to make the most sense at that time. I'm leaning more towards BitChute, but time will tell. For now, let's go ahead and get into our weekend of boxing, our day of boxing first here today in the later afternoon and evening. We have a couple of exciting fights, especially if you're a fan of the next generation of boxers. So let's talk about that here right now. Of course, the big fight that's happening, this is on Showtime pay-per-view in the United States, Fight TV in the UK. If you want to check this out, 12 rounds of boxing at lightweight, the return of Javante Tank Davis fighting Hector Luis Garcia. I talked about this fight before, and I said it's a pretty good fight to watch if you're interested. If you're in the United States, it's a pay-per-view event. So even if you had the Showtime app, you would have to pay pay-per-view. And I don't know that you can justify pay-per-view for this type of a fight. That's not to say that Hector Luis Garcia is going to come in and take a loss. He's not. He's undefeated. But nobody believes that Garcia is going to be able to give Tank very many problems. 
There's a couple of reasons why I suspect that Garcia will make Tank look bad up front, and then eventually Tank's going to get him out there. Garcia is much taller. I say much, but, you know, relatively it's not. But he's taller than Tank. That's going to play a factor. But the other thing I noticed with Garcia, at least, Garcia does not have power. He doesn't have knockout power. That's not what he does. But stylistically, I think he's going to present some problems for Tank, especially because Tank seems to take his foot off the gas, depending on the person that's across from him. If he feels like he's not at threat, even though he is at all times, seems like Tank doesn't show up and take the person. It's not that he doesn't take him seriously. He doesn't seem to go full throttle. We saw this against Gamboa. I think it was round six. One of the rounds, there was actually a sequence where he was actually clinching Gamboa, took his eye off him. He was talking to somebody on ringside. It was the most bizarre thing possible. Gamboa posed no threat to Tank. Now that's Gamboa, but Gamboa still has you know power in hands. He does. With Isak Cruz, it seemed like Tank was not able to step it up to really cause Isak very much trouble, and that's what caused many of the ringside to speculate that Isak might have got, quote, robbed. He wasn't robbed, so let's just be clear about that. But it's one of those where I'm not really sure if Tank's on the decline or if the opposition is stepping up. I do think Hector Luis Garcia, he's the right age, as in he's not completely old. He's a southpaw just like Tank, so that's going to, present at least no stylistic challenge for Tank because he's used to fighting at least in that regard. And Garcia doesn't have, uh, Tank has more fights than Garcia. So I don't think, I'm not saying it's a soft touch at all. It's for the WBA lightweight championship. So this I think is going to be a legit match for him. Mind you, this is the first fight I believe where Tank is no longer under Mayweather promotions. He wanted to go out on his own. He said there was nothing around it. He just wanted to branch out on his own, do his own thing, see what would happen, see if this is something that he wanted to continue to do. So I think it's a good fight to worth watch. I'm just not sure it's pay-per-view level. If you're in the state of Washington, it's at the Capital One Arena out in Washington here in the United States, so you can go check that out locally. It's going to start later on this evening. If you want to check that fight out, then this whole event is pretty much the vast majority of what I see. There may be some international fights that I don't see, but like there was some, but there was a fight that happened yesterday out in, I believe it's Japan that happened there that I missed. Most of the lesser fights happen kind of on Friday. That's why I usually do Friday, but they happen like in the morning. So I missed those. And then of course we had prior to that, just Ioka versus Franco. And that was a pretty good fight for what it, what it was. But for this event, it's the vast majority of what we're going to see here today. So I'm going to be, the fighting fights I'm going to talk about are all part of the same event, which means they're all Showtime pay-per-view. They're all on Fight TV in the UK. On that undercard, then, the co-main is uh, Jerome Boots Ennis making his return. He's fighting a guy, and I want to pronounce his name correct and do it justice because I know people are teasing him over his name. I believe it's Karin, and, and then I believe the last name is Chikazian or Chikazian, one of the two. I believe that's the pronunciation. His name is spelled like Karen, and so people are ridiculing Boots because he's, quote, fighting a Karen. Now, I've watched Karin Chikazian. I think he's a pretty darn good fighter for what he is. I think he's a good test for Boots Ennis. He's lost once, but if you watch his style, he comes across like a more flat-footed Manny Pacquiao. Like he'll, he does these odd angle shots where he gets through the guard or around the guard and he'll hit you, but he's not a, like a combo puncher. He's not an aggressor. He's not going to go after you. It seems like he's waiting for you to leave yourself open. And even if you're mid throw, he's going to get a shot in. Well, we know Boots, he, obviously throws some awkward angles too. So I think this is going to be a very interesting visual style matchup. My guess though, even though Chikazian has more experience than Boots, and he does, he's been in the game a little longer, but he also has more rounds in the books. Overall, 
because Boots obviously just gets him out of there early. Chikazian's about the same height. Chikazian's also orthodox. Chikazian's roughly the same age, just a little bit older. I think this is one where you're going to see for the first few rounds, probably the first four or five rounds, it's kind of feeling out. And I think Boots is going to look, at least initially, like he's having some trouble getting around or through or to the guy just because of the awkward way that he throws. Like, it's a very, it's a weird fascination watching him fight. I would love to see, actually, Chikazian versus Sebastian Manbun Formella. That would be a very interesting fight, just stylistically speaking, because Formella goes after you. He'll go after you, and then Chikazian, he avoids that pressure. He's not going to go after you, and he throws awkward. So I'd love to see those kind of styles. This one, I do think Boots gets him out of there. It may take him a few rounds just to adjust to what he sees in the way Chikazian fights, but I do think Boots gets him out of there with relative ease. Now, mind you, Boots Ennis has won no contest on record, and I've been critical of him for that no contest, not because I'm critical of Boots himself. I am only because I think Boots gets overrated by the mainstream and by NSB. They overrate him as a great fighter, even though ultimately the best fighter he ever went up against, he couldn't get him out of there. Now, the reason he couldn't get him out of there, I'm pretty sure that was a stoppage on headbutts or something else. But the point is, he couldn't get him out of there. That was Chris Van Heerden. Chris Van Heerden, of course, Errol Spence dispatched with variative ease. Chris Van Heerden was very highly, you know, he spoke very highly of Boots Ennis and said, you know, Boots has great power, and I had to watch out for the power. But Spence also, he got it done. He got the win. That's what I saw. So Van Heerden, as I look at the record, NSB and others say, no, it's Lippin Yetz. Lippin Yetz hadn't beaten anybody. Lippin Yetz only had 17 fights, I believe, at the time. Lippin Yetz was not a step up. Uh, Thomas DeLorme was long past the sell date. Castillo Clayton was a pretty good win, I'll argue, but then there was sketchy business because I'm pretty sure that was the one where there was a rabbit punch on the way down, so I can't really count that one either. But Van Heerden, I think, was a really good test for Boots Ennis. Boots was performing well, but the point is he didn't get it done. So I can't, I don't know at this point. I know he has the Roy Jones aura about him, but I think we need to see him tested, truly tested against somebody who's not on the decline and not on the way out. And unfortunately, he didn't get it done against the one guy that was fit that profile in Chris Van Heerden because Chris Van Heerden ultimately gave him, I think, the toughest test to that point. And hopefully we get to see him against somebody that's really a threat. The one that he's fighting here in Chikazian could be that person. I just don't think that it will be. I think that Chikazian is going to look challenging for the first few rounds and then Boots gets him out of there. Possibly by round five, I'm guessing. If if Chikazian takes Boots the distance, it'll just expose Boots to me because not and that's not saying anything about Boots. It's saying that Chikazian, from what I can tell, the way Boots' style works, he should be able to dispatch Chikazian in less than six rounds. He should be able to because it's not like Chikazian's doing anything spectacular. He's just a bit awkward. Boots is awkward too. So what happens when you have two awkwards? Really, the better fighter should be able to out-awkward the other one if we're honest here. So is that, is that what we're going to see? But if Chikazian takes Boots the distance, it means that the awkward isn't really, that's not really the, the answer <laughs> because you got another awkward that just out-awkwarded you and got you all the way to the distance. And that would be a win for Chikazian, frankly, even if he lost on the cards. It's just like Bumbanga. Bumbanga getting taken the distance by Steve Rolls lowered his stock. So if Boots, for whatever reason, gets taken the distance by this guy, it's going to lower Boots' stock. People will hopefully, like NSB, will stop calling this guy number one pound for pound, greatest fighter, next Roy Jones, and all this overhype. Level set, let's come back down to reality. He looks flashy against the B levels and the C levels, and that's okay. No problem. You can still like him as a fighter. 
we shouldn't just turn on him because that's what happened with Andre Berto. We were actually talking about this on NSB about the fact that when Andre Berto was at his peak before he fought Victor Ortiz the first time, it was the same situation that we're seeing here with Boots Ennis. Everybody was rating Andre Berto as the next big thing and this amazing pound-for-pound-looking fighter. And then he met Louis Colazzo, and the fight against Louis Colazzo exposed flaws in his game. When he fought Victor Ortiz all three times, really, nobody questions that Berto had heart. Nobody questions that Berto wasn't a hard fighter. Arguably, the only fight Berto ever had where he looked questionable was against Robert Guerrero. Nobody knows what the hell he was doing, trying to do a shoulder roll defense when that was never his style. His style was always an aggressor. The only time Berto really looked terrible is when he fought outside of his element. That's my point here with Boots versus Chikazian. If Ennis keeps his style, which is that of an awkward fighter, and you're fighting an awkward fighter in return, and the two awkwards, you know, what's going to happen there? But if Ennis comes in there and he tries to box, let's say, orthodox normal, he's not trying to be awkward, maybe that's smart, maybe it's not. It's not something that we've seen from him on an excessive, I can't recall in any fight where he's fought straight up except for Van Heerden to some degree. And there he couldn't get it done, right? So does that mean he doesn't have the fundamentals right? He looks like Roy Jones. Roy Jones never really had the fundamentals of defense. If you go back to his fights, he never had the fundamentals of defense. It's just that that got first exposed with Tarver. Tarver's the one that first exposed. He doesn't have the fundamentals of defense. He has a glass chin. If you land just right, he's going down. And then everybody else was exploiting it from Johnson, Green, right? Now we see a Macronelli. We see now, okay, it's defense that his, that's why he keeps moving all that. And his speed. But once you catch him, all you got to do is catch him and just be patient. You're going to nail him and get him out of there. Chris Eubank Sr. Chris Eubank Sr.'s one weakness, arguably his one weakness of everything he ever had, he never focused on defense at all. He was an offensive first fighter. If you went after him and weren't afraid of him, he looked like just every other fighter. And we saw that near the end when he fought Carl Thompson. We see that time and again, Nigel Benn. When Nigel Benn was fighting, the ones who were successful against him went after him, basically bully the bully. In this one, you've got two stylistically awkward fighters, and we have to see if they cancel each other out. That's the, that's the theory. One's going to have to cancel out. Or does it go the distance because one awkward can't handle the other awkward? If it goes the distance, it looks bad for Ennis. It looks great for Chikazian. The only acceptable outcome here is for Boots Ennis to stop this guy sometime within six rounds or less. That's my call, and others can disagree with me. That's not banging on Ennis. I'm saying that's what it is. Otherwise, it's just like Andre Berto back in the day, where he's being overrated because of the, quote, eye test, instead of the fundamentals of boxers. Boxers themselves are who they are. You can adapt your style. Ennis, mind you, he's 25 years old, so he's still young, so he can still adapt the style. And I wouldn't want to see him go down the road of like a Mike Jones or Corey Spinks, right, where they looked all great against a certain level of opposition. Then they meet this one person who's a stylistic nightmare for them. Mike Jones is actually a great analogy for what I see of Boots Ennis. Mike Jones would fight that same way as what you'd see with Pacquiao. He would go in, he would throw like a little combo, and then he'd try to pivot. Or he would clinch and then, you know, twist out. Over and over again, he's dominating Randall Bailey in this case. Dominating, dominating, dominating. I believe it was round nine, round nine or 10, one of the two. And basically, Bailey's just getting, he's getting tagged and people are wondering, okay, are you going to stop the fight? Corner, ref, are you going to stop the fight? This is one-sided. All of a sudden, Randall Bailey throws a faint left and then straight down the pipe off the right. 
And Mike Jones falls backwards like I've never seen before. It was a, it was horrible the way he fell back. He got up. He seemed like he was okay. Survives the round. Round 11, Mike Jones is back boxing, but it looked like he was frustrated. And so he starts going after Bailey. Somewhere mid, I want to say after two minutes or so, Jones comes in. Bailey, basically, he parries a shot. And then, boom, a brilliant uppercut, right uppercut. Right off the face, you saw it. Jones falls straight back. And I remember Mario Lopez is doing commentary. Nobody knows the hell why. Mario Lopez is doing commentary, and he's like, no, Mike Jones isn't getting up. He's done. He's done. <laughs> Jones rolls, and then he doesn't get up. Ref stops the fight. Biggest upset at the time is because Randall Bay is like 37 years old. Mike Jones was in the prime, prime of his career, being positioned for a fight with Manny Pacquiao, who at the time was going to be fighting Tim Bradley. Well, here's the thing. Randall Bale is supposed to win IBF, okay? And then he lobbied to get the Manny Pacquiao shot, never got it. And then basically both guys, so Mike Jones, he fought one more time, got knocked out, spark out. Mike Jones would never fight again. Randall Bailey quit the business because he got screwed on this. He got screwed. Quits the business. Randall Bailey's a trucker down in Florida. Nobody knows where the hell Mike Jones went. I tried to track him down for the podcast. Nobody knows where he went. If anybody listening knows where Mike Jones did go, I'd love to talk to him. So I'd love to understand his, his journey because there's very little information about him online. I'd love to talk a little bit more. But my point is you get these guys and they're positioned for a certain level. So Mike Jones was one of them. Corey Spinks is one of them. Andre Berto was one of them. They, you know, I'll even say Nassim Hamed. They're positioned for a certain thing. They're awkward. They're this. You know, they, they're able to stymie a few fighters. Next thing they know, they meet this one guy. And usually it's going to be a fundamental boxer almost every time. Like if you think about Nassim Hamed, who was it? Barrera, who was just patient, <laughs> patient, countered him and was able to deal with it off that. Kevin Kelly also, who was a patient fighter at times, was able to counter and deal with it at least at first. And then Hamed reset. But Barrera was the one that really upset that card. Corey Spinks, Zab Judah, a fundamental basic boxer with a solid jab. Dealt with Corey Spinks. Corey Spinks, the eye test, of course, that he was. Andre Berto's a bit, di bit different because he met up with a, basically an aggressive Mexican fighter. We know how they all work. And Berto got drawn into wars he wasn't really ready for. Let's take Adrian Broner. Adrian Broner fights Chino Maidana, ultimately gets drawn into wars, starts making stupid mistakes. Everybody seems like, uh, if your name is, unless your name is Floyd Mayweather, gets drawn into a stylistic mismatch. And what I'm saying here with Boots Ennis and the reason I'm spending time on him is I'm intrigued by the match because you got two stylistically awkward fighters, which normally one of them's got to cancel out. We expect that's Boots dealing with Chikazian in quick order. He should easily dispatch him. But does Chikazian's awkwardness cause a problem for Boots if he never trained for that awkwardness? And is this that moment where we see another Andre Berto situation where he just met his match? And I'm saying if Chikazian lasts the distance, even if he does lose, that's what we would have. We would have, okay, for Boots, Let's come down off of it. It's not that he's exposed. He'll recover. He's young. But let's come down off of it. Let's stop overrating the guy. And let's let him rebuild and adapt his style, get a little bit more dimensions to his style so that he can be a great fighter, learning to do more than just what he's been reliant on. That's my point. So I'm saying I think this is worth watching if you can. Boots Ennis versus Karin Shakazian. I think it's worth watching. And maybe I get it wrong. Maybe he blows him out in one. I'm saying that my gut tells me Chikazian is going to at least look, make it look bad for a few first few rounds. Undercard as well, Demetrius Andrade, a.k.a. Boo Boo, or as NSB calls him, Doo Doo Andrade, who keeps bragging about people ducking him. He's fighting Demon Nicholson. 
I don't know Demon Nicholson very well. I do know Demetrius Andre, and, and Sean Porter has come out and said that he believes that Demetrius Andre is one of the best fighters out there. I'm sure that from a skill perspective, Demetrius Andre is truly as great as people think he is. I don't doubt this. He seems like he has strong fundamentals. The problem with Demetrius Andre is that he's boring. Nobody wants to watch him. So it's not that people are afraid of him. He's going to stink out the joint. It doesn't matter who it is that he fights. He's going to stink out the joint. And many fighters don't want to be dragged down by him stinking out the joint. That's the big concern with him. It's never been about, oh, people are ducking him because they think they're going to lose. It's possible they might lose. But remember, Andre is 34 years old. Yes, he's a southpaw that causes issues. But I see in Andre basically the super middleweight version of, of Guillermo Rigondeaux because it's just he's a boring fighter nobody wants to see, ultimately. That's what's really driving the so-called avoidance of him. He brings nothing to the table. It's not about being a title holder. He doesn't excite the fans. Fans aren't going to want to dial in to see him. And even if the person does beat Andre, it's not going to do much for their career because Andre has not stepped up. He's not wanted to, to force situations. He's basically been placated and waiting for somebody to call him out and come after his belt. And that's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to actually go seek the smoke, not duck the smoke. I think of Andre very much like Crawford. It's just that Andre's super middleweight, but it's the same thing as Crawford, same type of thing. Whereas with Demon Nicholson, the weird thing about Demon Nicholson, right? Again, I know very little about the guy. It seems to me, anyway, it seems like Demon Nicholson should, and I I put that in quotes, should cause problems, all kinds of problems for somebody like Andre. Demon Nicholson has power, strong knockout streak. He's got just about, not the same, but he's got a pretty good amount of experience. So I would expect that he should give Andre some problems. Now, the thing is, if Andre refuses to engage and just, you know, I don't want to say run away, but if he refuses to engage and kind of goes on the back foot, then, you know, that's not going to, that's not going to happen. Obviously, I I don't know. So when I started, what I did is I started going back and looking at Demon Nicholson's past fights. And I wanted to see what can I learn about this dude that would tell me something up or down, whether he's a great fighter, good fighter, decent fighter, whatever. His resume is not that spectacular. His most notable fight outcome, which was a loss, a dominant loss, was against uh, Bumbanga. Bumbanga went the distance with Demon Nicholson. I remember that fight, and people questioned, okay, what the hell's going on here? Why are you going the distance with Demon Nicholson? Now, I don't know if that's because, at the end of the day, Bumbanga just refused to engage. I don't remember the specifics of the fight, but I remember the fact that, yeah, it took him the distance to do this guy, for whatever reason. Anytime then that Demon Nicholson has won, it seems like if he steps up in class, he's not able to get him out of there. Seems like he goes the distance more than not. Even though he has a great knockout record, the knockout seemed to have staved off. I was trying to see if that's age-related, but he's not crazy old. He's only 29 years old. So now I was like, okay, well, what, what happened here? Because it goes in sways. If it's like a really good fighter that has a lot of experience, he can dispatch them. He's knocked out fighters that have had a decent record. Uh, Isaac Rodriguez being the most notable that I can think of. Fernando Castaneda. He's knocked out fighters with a decent record. So then why is it like with Steve Rolls? He fought Steve Rolls. He lost against Steve Rolls close, and Nicholson got dropped by Steve Rolls. We know this is Steve Rolls is not that great of a fighter. He's a little awkward, but he's not that great of a fighter. Well, why the heck are you getting dropped by Steve Rolls? So then I went back further. Most of his performances, if he won, was he was going to get him out of there. If he won, that's assuming he won. He went the distance one time that I can recall back in 2020, if I recall, against 
what I would argue is a journeyman. And then he went the distance again. And that was Victor de Rocha, again, a journeyman. So is it that, and these both happened in, this all happens in Maryland because he hasn't, he did, he started fighting in Maryland. There's no real rhyme or reason to why the heck the guy goes the distance sometimes and gets knockouts other times. Because again, he'll get knockout wins against solid fighters, but then he'll go the distance against journeymen. My guess, and it's only my guess, is something is about motivation with him where he's unmotivated when he fights certain people or he's taking dives. And I'm not making an accusation. I'm saying there can only be one of the two. Either he's unmotivated fighting certain people or he's taking dives. Because if I think about Bumbanga, right? He lost that wide. It wasn't close. Okay, well, Bumbanga didn't really do much. So what the hell happened, right? But then he fights journeyman and he's going the distance with them. So what the hell? And then all of a sudden he's knocking out solid contenders, spark out. Okay, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, you know, either you're great against journeyman or you suck against journeyman. You're great against solid contenders or you suck against contenders. There's no pattern with him. And so it can only either be lack of motivation at points or he's taking dives. I can't tell you which. I'm saying that's what I see. That's what concerns me the most about this fight is that if I'm right about anything and if it's possible he's taking the pay to take dives, then we might see a very lackluster performance where Andre barely throws anything, Demon barely tries to fight the guy, and we see that Andre gets a unanimous, wide unanimous, and then all of a sudden he's talking about people ducking him again. What I would hope, and if Demon Nicholson is listening to me, what I would hope is he goes for broke. He goes out there and he does everything he can to try to get some traction on Demetrius Andre and show him, look, I'm here to try to win this damn fight. Don't fall back. Don't let him do whatever. Don't let him run. Don't let him do anything. Do something to deal with it. Be inspired by Randall Bailey. Go out there and show the world that you're not here to lay down for this dude. And even if you lose, if you're able to at least drop, let's say drop Andre or make him look terrible, you've already done more than many fighters have done against Demetrius Andre. Consider that a win. Even if you're not going to win, do more than just come in to show up for a check. It's my call. And I'm not accusing him for it. I'm saying if that was the case, I don't know. The final fight that's happening here later on, Rashidi Ellis makes his return. He's going to be fighting Ramayan Villa. This is at the Capital One Arena out there in Washington again. Ten rounds at welterweight. I I know Rashidi Ellis. I think he's a good guy. He's a good kid. Uh, he's only 29 years old. He's a decent, decent fighter. Uh, I don't know very much about Roman Villa. I, I've seen him. I remember seeing him fight a while ago, but it was only like once or twice, whereas Rashidi Ellis I know a little bit more about. And again, I think highly of him as a, as a person. You know, I think he's a good guy. People are talking about Rashidi Ellis versus Boots Ennis. I, I think it's a little early for that because nobody really knows either guy except for hardcores. I think right now you're still in build mode. I think they should be allowed to continue to be in build mode. Give them a little bit more to showcase, build up a name. As long as they keep fighting, I think they'll be okay. So then I looked a little bit into Ramon Villa because I wanted to just understand, again, is there anybody I can parallel or just better understand it? Unfortunately, Ramon Villa hasn't really fought anybody of any note whatsoever. The only one, the only one I can call out, and even this was a stretch, I'm, I'm being honest, is Boca Chica. He fought Boca Chica in September 2022. This is the one where Boca Chica got dropped, and people are like, he got exposed, and then he was he spit out his mouthpiece, like, okay, what the hell are you doing? 
where Boca Chica was that eye test and he was getting pushed and hyped and everything else. Ramon Villa is the is the second one to expose possible issues with Boca Chica. Ramon Villa is the first one to beat Boca Chica. Ramon Villa is the first one, I'm pretty sure, to drop Boca Chica. So that's where Ramon Villa's biggest, arguably biggest win is, is Boca Chica. But Boca Chica at that point hadn't really beaten anybody of note except for people like Mark Reyes, and that was arguably not a wide win. It was a close win, but Mark Reyes is a good win, in my opinion. Other than that, Boca Chica hadn't really beat anybody of any strong note. It's just that he'd been heavily promoted and pushed, you know, the media machine as the next thing. And I'm a fan of Boca Chica. I like the guy as a fighter, but let's be honest, he hadn't beaten anybody. But Roman Villa, he got hype off that win. That was a huge win for him. And so now coming back against Rashidi Ellis, now we have to see stylistically what this fight looks like. My gut tells me this is going to be one of those war <laughs> type fights. I think it's going to be one of those where they go to war. I don't see Rashidi Ellis as one who's going to continue. He boxes, but he is going to try to get you out of there at points. He's going to actually try to get you out of there. It's not like he's going to sit back and do it. Now, Rashidi Ellis was the one who beat Alexis Rocha back in 2020. And that was pretty much a domination of a really good opponent, Alexis Rocha. And we know Alexis Rocha can show up when he wants to. So we might see the same thing. We might see Rashidi Ellis completely dominate, outbox Roman Villa. I don't think so. I think Roman Villa has a chance to do what Rocha failed to do, as in show up and show that he's here, even though I believe Ellis is going to get the win on this one. So that's our day of boxing here today. I do recommend checking it out. I know it's all pay-per-view, and I know that sucks, but I think they're great fights worth your time if you can check them out. Showtime pay-per-view or Fight TV if you're in the UK. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Combat Talk Radio, Masterpiece Boxing, found at combattalkradio.net. I want to thank you for listening today, whether you are a subscriber or not. I know you have choices, and I appreciate you for being here. Just to remind those that are new to the show, Combat Talk Radio records every Friday, so once a week in the Pacific time zone. And then Lifeblood of Boxing series, which is our coverage of the boxers I think are worth your time and give to the sport. That's once per month. It does not have a fixed schedule, but once a month I'll have a release until I run out of ones that I think are worth covering for Lifeblood of Boxing. So those are our two programs. It is podcast only at this point. We want to hear from you. So combattalkradio.net at the bottom. Hit comments, feedback. Let us know how we're doing. If there's anything that you'd like to see us adjust or improve, we want to hear from you and we are open to that feedback. We also are open to starting up the YouTube again, but it seemed like that died off when Lomachenko took a loss and we don't know why. So if somebody knows why or they'd like to hear the YouTube coverage, let us know that as well in the comments and we are open to doing it. We just need to make sure the fans are there. Right now they're on the podcast, not on the YouTube for whatever reason specific. We're open either way. Anyhow, that'll do it and I will see you guys next week.